Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Climate Change in the Multiverse. I'm here with Corey Malia, who is a activist, musician, and artist based in Los Angeles, uh, and another person I met through Extinction Rebellion and connected with at Metabolic, the most magical of places, as we talk about a lot on this podcast. And yeah, she's joining me today from LA. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Good. So my first question for you is, how is your heart today? My heart is really full of regenerative culture because I went on a camping trip with some Extinction Rebellion folk who've been my family within such a short period of time. And we just had such healing conversations and not just about activism, but also how we got to this point in our lives. Cause everyone's story for activism and getting to this place of being part of Extinction Rebellion is so different. And it was really beautiful to hear how our life experiences really connect us to each other, even if they're very different. Mm, that's so wonderful. And so you're a co-coordinator for the youth um, of Extinction Rebellion Los Angeles. Was it just a youth retreat or was it all types of ages and people? This one, I was actually the youngest one there. I was with Extinction Rebellion Los Angeles, which is kind of the mommy chapter of Extinction Rebellion Youth. We emerged after the adult chapter and they've really been our mentors in this and I'm so grateful because I'm not sure if there would be an Extinction Rebellion youth if, if they hadn't been there. I don't think we would be at this point today. So I'm really grateful to all of them for all the work they put in and starting up this chapter in Los Angeles. Yeah. How did you first get involved? I got involved with Extinction Rebellion through busking, actually, but I've never bused for money. I was in Santa Monica and I was doing Fridays for Future kind of demonstration events and I had my ukulele and and my music and I met two activists from Extinction Rebellion who were kind of the first people to to support me and through them I learned about Extinction Rebellion Los Angeles and I met Jen who's a really amazing person in Extinction Rebellion LA and she invited me to the meetings and through there I really got involved with Extinction Rebellion. Cool. Oh, so it's very kismet. Yeah. <laughs> Your music brought you to XR. Yeah, which is so symbolic because music, I feel, is this incredibly connective force for people and it really connects people. So through art and music, I have met people from all over the world just because of those two platforms. Mm. And you recently released a single. I was listening to it uh, summer <laughs> nights. It's so yeah. sweet. It's a great Thank tune. You. That was the first song I wrote, and I figured I would start with something that's not about climate to kind of be my breakthrough moment, and then I would release after that a song that I wrote for the September 20th climate strike of last year called Dangerous Game. So I have to record that and put that up because that one maybe not everyone will be able to relate to it if they're not a climate activist, but I really did write it as a kind of love letter to the earth. So I'm hoping that even people who aren't in the climate movement will be able to relate to that one too. I think they will. I think there's a rise of this type of music and art coming. Um, Rivers has been on the podcast. And <laughs> oh, I love Rivers. She's just the most incredible light being. <laughs> yeah. And uh, her music is, I've, I've been listening to it and it's so inspiring and it's, I think it took a moment for me to kind of click into it because I hadn't heard this type of music before, mm. um, you know, love songs to the earth and, and music about protest. Um, but once I was like, oh, this makes complete sense. And I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that coming out soon. Definitely. One of my, well, okay, this is obvious, but as a kid, I really liked Joni Mitchell. And so she wrote environmental songs way back then. Mm. And Shutezka has been another inspiration for me because he just makes it so relatable because rap is something where it's, it's definitely cool. And so I think a lot of people will listen to it, even if they're not in the climate movement, just, you can relate to it because it's in the form of rap. And I'm excited for more and more environmental music to emerge because 
I think music is one of the ways that we're going to create the societal change we need. We don't just need the system change, we first need societal change so people wake up to this and relate to it and have empathy to it. Because I think a lot of people are missing that empathy to relate to each other and relate to our natural systems. Absolutely. I've personally been frustrated lately with um, my how I've been performing activism and the direct action and just not seeing change fast enough. And for myself, I'm like, oh, I should be going, refocusing on my storytelling and my filmmaking. And, you know, because like, we get, I get caught up in this idea that it's like, okay, well, I have to take to the streets and I have to do this protest because it's the only thing that's reasonable. Um, but to me, it feels like a bit of this martyrdom when I'm in that place because it takes all the energy away from my art. And then I remember that my art can impact so much more people more quickly and also more efficiently in a way that they don't realize, you know, because when I'm doing activism and everyone does it differently, but I end up getting on this little bit of a high horse that I'm like, come on, everyone, why aren't you out here? You know, like, you know, kind of scolding and like, nobody's interested in that. And people just tune out. Whereas if you tell a story and they just kind of, they're along for the ride and they come out the other side changed and so much more dramatically than if they had, you know, just come to one protest or signed a bunch of petitions. Exactly. And it's, it's definitely a journey for everyone. I can totally relate to art being different because when you're, when you're telling people statistics or you're marching on the street, it's very in your face. And I love that, that it's in your face, but we need both. I, I don't think we should have one and not the other. When I do art, it's kind of a way of winding down, but I always have a message for it, whether it's social justice or climate justice or the environment, because it kind of goes into your subconscious and art reminds people that it is a universal language. And so no matter what country you're from, you can relate to that image or you can relate to that song. And so I think both complement each other, the in-your-face activism and the more subtle kind of social activism that art and music create. Mm -hmm. And you guys combined the two recently with your Hollywood sign action. Yes. I was, I was so impressed by that. I thought, that was such a cool way to, to protest because it really, you really created a narrative there. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how that went down? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up doing acting and modeling. And so that, that really tied me to this event in particular. It was, it was definitely a personal event because we went to the Hollywood sign, which is so symbolic of California. It's one of the first things I think that people both nationally and internationally think of when they think of California, besides palm trees and beaches. And so standing there under this sign that has so much history and really shows film history and the arts and telling Hollywood that they need to wake up in such an artistic way was cool to get the images of the Red Rebel Brigade, which was the first youth Red Rebel Brigade here Hmm. For the LA chapter, that was really amazing to have that, as well as the aerial footage of us in a synchronized die in formation, spelling wake up, and in the middle of the Extinction Rebellion hourglass was Sonia Guajajara from the Amazon, who is hmm. such an incredible inspiration to me, and it was such an honor to have her there, and it was symbolic to have her in the center of the hourglass, because how the world's indigenous peoples are treated and if they're respected or not respected, if their lands are destroyed or protected, that will determine the fate of humanity and the fate of the planet. And so that was really a symbolic image. Yeah, that was so powerful. Really amazing work. Yeah. And so you're also part of the International Indigenous Youth Council? Yes. Nice. How long have you been involved with them? I think about a year and I got involved. I met a lot of them through Indigenous Peoples Day and just socializing and being involved with IIYC has been the most spiritually beautiful experience because leaving a lot of climate strikes, I sometimes feel like I gave so much of myself and it's kind of depleting mm -hmm. in a way that you have to unwind after that but with the IRYC strikes I just felt renewed actually through that because we did it in prayer and ceremony 
And that is such a different way to go about it than how we typically do strikes. And so through the actions, when we're doing actions with intent, and we made, I don't know, well, you can see since we're doing this over a call, my prayer ties here. We made prayer ties. We did a round dance, and that's how we finished the climate strike. And it just ended with prayer, and that was so beautiful. That is so powerful. That is something I've really felt that is missing in in my time uh, doing direct action. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've always been interested in, like, how do we incorporate meditation? How do we make this softer? And for a while, I was really kind of, you know, trying to lead in that in that way, you know, I'm like, okay, come up with these ideas and galvanize people. But then I realized, I've just come to this realization where it's like, the indigenous folks are always already doing that. And I just need to um, pay attention and be humble and follow their lead. And, you know, that that's been a real full circle moment for me in my activism, which, which is like, I need to stay in the activism, but I need to do it in a different way that facilitates the energy to work on my storytelling but I don't need to lead necessarily in these parts there are moments where I can lead certainly we all have we all should undertake that that role from time to time but really it should be about following the knowledge of the people who who shepherd this land who protect this Mm -hmm. land who have the quote-unquote answers that we're looking for yeah definitely and that's the one of our demands for the climate strikes. We made a list of demands. We talked to the community members. What do you need? What do you want? If you can make a list of demands for everything that's wrong with your community, whether it's a food desert or a search and refinery or fossil fuel infrastructure near your home, what would your demands be that people in power can serve your community? And mm-hmm. so we talked to each individual community, but one demand was always the same that we need indigenous and POC leadership in the climate movement because without that, it's just, it's just different. You need the people who have experience with fighting this battle, who've done this for so many years and also know how to take care of the land in a way that colonized society hasn't. And we need to return to ways. It's, it's kind of funny because it's not regressing. It's mm-hmm. going forward is going backward. We have to return to what was working and to go away from all these things that were considered progress, but are actually degrading our planet and degrading our society as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a remembering. Remembering what was working for millions of years. Yeah. And I think too, it's about feeling into something beyond, Mm -hmm. um, something beyond uh, what we can currently conceptualize. I've been studying with um, Bio Akamalafe, who is this um, former psychologist and storyteller and philosopher, um, originally from Nigeria. And he talks a lot about these, these myths of the trickster. And he talks about how the world that we live in, is the systems are so entrenched. You know, the way that we've been socialized is, is so strong. And so often the way that we try and fight the problem is part of the problem. And so he speaks to this notion of like becoming tricksters, becoming fugitive and like kind of feeling our way into things like outside of the way that we've been taught to think because the way that we've been taught to think is the problem. So it's this, you know, dissolving of all of the ways we've been taught to return and remember this old knowledge. But in doing that at the same time, releasing the need for knowledge or the need for structure and feeling into a new way of being that perhaps we we can't even remember yet so we have to listen to the people who do remember and the people who carry that ancestral knowledge because i think a lot of people they don't remember lessons of their ancestors that it wasn't passed down but in a lot of these communities, this knowledge is passed down. And so that's that's definitely secret and something that we need to have in the climate movement because when we try to fight the climate crisis with the same systems that caused it, we won't get anywhere. We mm-hmm. have to fight it with community and with empathy, with prayer, intention, kindness. And all of those systems are something that's oftentimes missing from this current society. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So how, um, as, um, XR Youth LA, how do you guys do that? How do you center that? We are very new. We just, uh, Dylan and I, who are now co-coordinators, that happened, I think, last week. So we're, we're new, but we just made our working groups and we're basing our structure based off of the UK structure. And one of the things that drew me to Extinction Rebellion is it doesn't have this typical format of a president or leader of the group and a hierarchy. It has, it's kind of like an organism. When you look at how it's structured, it looks like cells to me. Mm-hmm. Kind of how each part of the cell is vital to that cell's function. You can't take out one and have a cell function. And so I think that's kind of how our our group works is you can't take out one person in the group or one working group and it the system will collapse. You need to work in harmony. And so that's how I would describe it as kind of biology, which is really beautiful to me because instead of thinking of a hierarchy, you think of it as a system, whether that's an ecosystem or an organism. And that's how I would describe extinction rebellion structure to people who aren't familiar with it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, that's something I've been grappling with, like the whole not concept of non-hierarchy and wondering <laughs> like, is all or is any hierarchy problem problematic? But I think it's much more complex than that. It's not it is very complex. Yeah. In someone could argue, oh, as a coordinator, that is a position of power. It's not really power so much as, I guess, overseeing how the system is functioning because you're just working with all the different groups to make sure that you're all in communication with each other. So it's called coordinating versus leading. So, I mean, it's, I guess it is, it still is structured. I think one mistake people make is when we try to say all hierarchy is bad and all structure is bad. That's when it gets kind of chaotic because no one knows what their role is. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to see in the climate movement is that people can use their natural gifts and yes, also do things that they weren't previously com- uh, ha- comfortable with and go outside of their comfort zone but also to do things that they're naturally gifted at. For me, it's, it's art and music, but also public speaking and all of that. So those are the things that I like doing. Some people are very strong with legal things, or they're really great with grant writing, or things that I'm not necessarily gifted in, things that I've done because it's outside my comfort zone, but I'm not naturally gifted at those things. So I think we need more of that where with a certain amount of structure, with working groups, you can be part of the group where you're able to give so much of yourself and it feels great because you're doing what you love and what you're good at. Mm, Absolutely. So are you doing this full time? I have been doing this full time and in the meantime, trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, but also just this is the most important thing to me right now, especially I was able to live a few years of my childhood without thinking of this. But when I think about babies born today, this is all they will ever know. And that's what really motivates me because I was able to have a few really beautiful years of childhood where I could just be a kid and, Mm -hmm. and have those formative years to figure out who I was and just think that the world was my oyster, you know, and I want all kids to be able to feel that way too, to not have to worry about this, not, worry about will I not have a future and so this really is the most important thing this is more important to me than any accomplishments that people usually seek in life yeah do you remember when you first became aware of the climate crisis I think the first thing for me was probably around second grade is when I started learning a lot about things I learned that only about well, it's actually less than 3% of the water on Earth is fresh water, and only like 1% we can access to drink. And that's what really first started freaking me out about, do we have enough water? Because I would walk down the street and I would see people at 12 noon or 2 p.m. and they were watering their lawns. They're perfectly manicured green lawns. And I was thinking this is such a waste of water when we, we really don't have a lot. And then I learned that water is stolen 
and I learned that trees in the Amazon rainforest were chopped down. So I remember being in second grade and I came home and I told my mom, I want to live in the Amazon and protect the trees there. So that was my, that was my goal as a second grader. And that's really when I started getting really into environmentalism. And I never knew the word global warming really until getting to high school. And even then, I have learned this through research for my own, not through the school system. Mm -hmm. And I know it's different from place to place. My school might have been extra conservative on the word global warming or climate change. But I never knew this was so severe until these last couple of years. I had no idea. And it was crazy going from not knowing to realizing the extent of this emergency. Yeah. And I think it, it, it's just like layers of understanding. Because I, I don't remember when I first became aware of it, but I was pretty young because I grew up in Vancouver and BC and Canada. And, you know, David Suzuki has been around and <laughs> talking about this for a long time, as many, many other people. Uh, and um, the Indigenous folks here, they're, you know, have been close ties with them, but it's also been very contentious and the information hasn't gotten out, but I did have some aware of it, awareness of it my whole life. And yet it's just like every year that passes that awareness deepens and the concern deepens. And then for me, it was last summer where I just kind of like broke through to this new layer of just panic and alarm. Um, and then grappling with that, you know, I went through an intense period of grief um, which I hadn't really engaged with before. I'd always, you know, I'd been altering my behavior for years. Um, and, but then that was kind of, you know, this intensity that hit me. Have you been grappling with climate grief? Is that something that comes up from time to time or? Oh, definitely. It's, it's very constant for me. I will be in a beautiful moment and my brain will just go to, this is under threat. You know, that's, that's the kind of mental process every time I see something beautiful even, as well as the destruction. And for me, when I first started learning about, you know, reading news articles and Fridays for Future was born, I just, I started researching more and more it became this, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a hobby. I can't call researching this a hobby, but I, I was doing it consistently because I needed to know, mm -hmm. especially after years of being deprived of this information, I wanted to know all about it. And there was definitely a period of grief and I felt kind of frozen. What do I do? And it wasn't until I learned about how the Fridays for Future movement was growing that I felt like I could make a difference. Cause I think before I was just doing lifestyle changes, you know, I, I was vegan and I was trying to use zero plastic and all of that stuff, but it felt extremely isolating. Mm -hmm. And it felt like I wasn't really doing anything to teach other people because when you change your lifestyle, that's a very private thing. You can change your lifestyle sometimes without people even knowing. Mm -hmm. And with activism, it's very public. People, people see you as that person who's doing activism. But I've definitely had periods of, they call it climate anxiety or climate grief. I like the term climate grief because grief encompasses all the emotions and the stages of grief because there is a stage that's denial, there's a stage that's anger, there's a stage that's sadness. I forgot all of them, but it's definitely stages and it might be out of order. But I definitely went through a lot of stages of grief from learning all of this information yeah do you have how do you how do you grapple with that do you have a spiritual practice or is it all rational by by going out and doing the work of activism that's a good question for me i find i find peace through actions so when i feel helpless or hopeless i go out and do an action so i'm constantly doing actions because if I don't, I feel like there are so many broken systems and I'm not doing anything. So I get energy through activism, but also through people. Mm. I have a climate family and I'm constantly talking to them because we are supporting each other. And that's one thing I want people to know in this is that it can feel isolating, especially if you live in a community like mine where you're one of 
very, very, very few activists. And a lot of people are just business as usual. And it feels isolating if you're doing it on your own. But when you're having conversations with your climate family, it just feels like you're not alone and those people are going through the same difficulties and you're having the same experiences, but you're there for each other. So that's really how I deal with it. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you, do you have a hard time having normal conversations with people who aren't, you know, you can tell that they're not aware of what's going on? <laughs> I, well, I see conversations as a way of human connection. And so I have a really hard time with conversations that are kind of dumb to me. If someone is talking about certain lifestyle choices that are very, very polluting, like if someone is wanting to get set without knowing the consequences of that or if they're talking about going to a concert that's known to be a concert that produces a lot of waste that's a that's definitely a hard conversation for me but if someone's telling me about they're going through a really hard time in their life or they're they had something happen to them that was really great or they met a great person i love that because it i connect that back to the climate movement you you can't do this work without connecting to people on a person-to-person -person level and having that empathy and practicing empathy because we can often fall into apathy or falling into the trap of just dealing with our own problems in our life. But when we listen, not just talking, but listen to other people, listening to their stories, their concerns, their happiness, I don't have a problem with those conversations at all because that's I see that as vital to really saving our our culture as well and regenerating what's a healthy culture and what's not mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely it's all about being able to be vulnerable with other people and holding that space and because the culture the whole i mean gosh there's all sorts of problems with the culture <laughs> i've made a kind of little promise to myself to back away from like just throwing capitalism around as like you know the bad guy because obviously it's so much more complex than that like you know like the the ideologies of capitalism are very problematic but like colonialism came first and like yes. and the, those are of course the cultures we're talking about when we see the culture we're definitely talking about those two in particular <laughs> but at the same time it's like we're not separate from it you yeah know? it's definitely ingrained and sometimes we have to catch ourselves even even as someone who's you know part of the POC community, I sometimes fall into this mentality that's very weird because it's ingrained, even though it, it works against me in a lot of ways, I fall into that thinking and I have to catch myself, whoa, that's not, that's not a good way to approach this, you know? And I think a lot of people have that. It's not just, we can't just say dismantle it. We have to dismantle it in our minds as well and really do deep thinking how much of my thought system has been capitalized or colonized. It's really interesting to have that, like how much of your mental process is influenced by that. Absolutely. And I think like it's so much of our mental, of the way we think. Like <laughs> even if, if we really get down to the neuroscience of reality and how we're, we're actually only seeing what we've been socialized to see. Oh, that's an interesting conversation <laughs> to have. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, it's, it's, we're so, our minds are so colonized that we actually create the reality that has been kind of dictated to us through, through our biology and our evolution. And mm -hmm. so it's this, this total push and pull, this like symbiotic relationship of like what we see reinforces what we believe and what we believe reinforces what we see. And it's just exactly what we have to do is, is decolonize our minds. Yeah. And I remember you had something about that, right? Didn't you have a talk or discussion called decolonize your mind? <laughs> we did. Yeah. <laughs> I did a couple philosophy clubs in LA and it's just kind of the general concept of decolonizing our minds. And then the first one, we talked about what is truth. Because that's XR's first demand is tell the truth. Ah, and then you have to say, but what is the truth? And but that you can spend truth. hours talking about that. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we could spend the rest of our lives talking about it and still not reach. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I struggle with that too, because I think... Talking can be twofold. In one way, 
it can be a waste of time in certain in certain places and in other ways it can be regenerative so mm -hmm. in certain circles when you're let's say you're talking about climate solutions and people have been talking about climate solutions for a very 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 long time for decades mm -hmm. ever since people knew that global warming was a thing and as soon as people knew that this could affect humanity and there are all these conferences like cop that was a total failure and it was people talking and it really got nowhere yeah and there are other places where you have these conversations with people and they might not even be about climate but they make you see something in a whole different way and you're just spiritually refreshed by that and it really is regenerative and i love that word so much it's kind of my word of the day every day because you think is this regenerative is it not because regeneration is it's not like sustainability because sustainability you can sustain your mindset and in a way that can be stagnant and yes. it's not helpful and so when we talk about regenerative that's growing healing constantly evolving to be more not productive because that's kind of a capitalist word see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but to be more effective to to thrive more mm -hmm. to be more you know, interdependent and in tuned and connected. Yeah. Because that's something that's such a beautiful thought. I've never thought about the difference between, you know, sustainability and regeneration and sustainability. Now that I think about it, it does feel like this kind of capitalist thing. It's like, how can we, how could we sustain like infinite exponential growth? Exactly. And that's, that's why I, I don't like using the term sustainability any, anymore because when I'm talking to people who aren't in the climate movement, maybe I'll say, oh, I'm going to make them more sustainable choice just because that's the word that they're programmed to hear and understand. Mm -hmm. But it, when I'm in the climate movement, I don't like to use that term sustainability. I'd rather go to regeneration because that's, you see regeneration in in ecosystems and I, I just think of plants and I love plants so that's a beautiful word to me just to just think that we're constantly evolving and evolution takes time whether that's your thoughts or biological evolution it takes time but it's constantly happening change is constantly happening absolutely absolutely and it's all cyclical right and so it's like sustainable to me sounds like okay we're never gonna die we're just gonna like keep going and how do we like maintain right? <laughs> and someone asked me that the other day too would you want humans to live forever and i said absolutely not because think about all these problematic people in history and you can off the top of your head you could probably know exactly who i'm talking about there are people in history you would not want them alive today yeah. and you would because if you have those those same people humanity will never change mm -hmm. and the the cool thing about our time on earth in this form being temporary is that it makes room for evolving and changing mindsets changing society and change is oftentimes beautiful sometimes it's not sometimes we I mean, if you think about how we used to treat the land, how we treat it today, that wasn't a, a good change. Mm -hmm. But we can change from destroying the land to protecting the land. And that's a change that is really effective and really important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it is happening in so many ways. Like, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the doom and gloom of the, the news cycle, um, especially right now with the coronavirus. I think a lot of people are really freaking out, really alarmed. Um, and we don't ever look at all of the positive things that are happening, like all of the good things that are going on. And especially with your generation, you know, you guys give me so much hope. <laughs> yeah, my generation gives me hope. I, I think that Gen Z is a pretty cool generation to be a part of, I have to say. Yeah. Does it feel like do you look around and you go, okay, we're all on the same page or is there still a lot of, of your peers that are, are not quite getting it or like living in different worlds, holding different ideologies? Oh, totally. I mean, when I look at people I used to go to school and used to be friends with and it's, it's not really bad mouthing because I don't like to do that, but I, I'm definitely not on the same mindset as a lot of those people. And 
it's just, it's just crazy when I look at the lifestyles they have or their goals in life, it's just so different from my own. So I think a lot of people in Generation Z, as it's called, are really very similar to previous generations. Mm. But there are certain aspects of Generation Z that are really cool. I mean, in a way, using social media as such an asset, I think that's one thing about my generation that seems cool. Millennials are also pretty good at that too. <laughs> but this is all we've known, you know, we've, we've only known this technology and using it for, when I look back to the civil rights movement and how they did this without social media, I'm mind blown. So I always tell my group, you know, we should do what the civil rights movement did, but add technology, think of how far we can go. Cause that's just, if you did it before without technology and it was that powerful and created that much change, think of what we can do with using all of this technology and using this ability to talk to people all over the world. The fact that I can have conversations with people in Europe or Asia or anywhere, that's amazing. People weren't able to do that before. Absolutely. I truly believe that the revolution is happening on Instagram. <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> And, and Twitter, too, because you get trending words, and every time I see that hashtag climate change is trending on Twitter, that's pretty cool. Because in order for it to be trending, you have to have many, many, many people tweeting that yeah. same thing. Oh, and, like, the Me Too movement took off on Twitter. Yeah. And, and then Facebook, and, like, just totally that, like, it's been a cultural shift that we've been needing forever. And, like, I, I think everything that's happening with Harvey Weinstein and all of these all of the other systemic change that's happening, getting the bad men out. Yeah, exactly. Um, that, that wouldn't have happened without social media. Yeah, it's really cool that we can use this as a tool for good. It really can be used either way because a lot of people in my generation will use it for, I bought a new outfit and I'm standing in front of an Instagrammable shop or donut place or something. Okay. And so that's one way to use it, you know, to just look cool. And then for me, I use it as activism. And I've had conversations with people. Some people don't like posting their activism because then they feel that it's cloudivism. For me, I just feel that it connects people around the world. And I see it as this way because I follow people and then people follow me from different countries. When I'm asleep, they're doing their activism. I wake up in the morning. I you know, I like their, their posts because they, they show me what they've done with their day. And then when they go to sleep, I'm doing my activism so they can see mine in the morning. And it's this constant, we feedback for each other. We get to get inspired by each other's actions and know that we're, we're both doing this at the same time. Yeah. And I, I see it as a way to connect people all over the world and to know that the support system is there. Because if you're thinking, oh, this, this fight is only happening in my community or only in my state even, it might feel like the problem is too big. But when you know that people from all these different countries, all these different continents are working together and we're using social media to see each other's lives in that way, I think it really creates social change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are promoting that even more with your art that you do. Mm -hmm. You do all these beautiful portraits of, of activists all over the world. I love doing that. And it started with the first portrait I did was called Youth Activist Series. And I don't remember what inspired me to do that. It was so long ago now. So, well, actually it was quite recently when I first started doing the Youth Climate Activist Series. It was only last year, maybe even half a year ago. It feels forever ago. Yeah. But I, I started doing that as a way to tell these youth voices, someone's listening, someone understands, someone is there for you. And it was my way of showing appreciation for all that they're doing. And to show other kids through art, look at these people your age who are doing something so amazing despite their age, despite their youth, they're, they're raising their voice. And it was cool because it was connecting people all over. People would comment and say, hey, I know that person, or I, I love this. It, it makes me feel so valued in this movement. And that was when I first started doing portraits. And then I started doing portraits for 
people that I just really admire. I made one of Sonia. I made some of the founders of IIYC because IIYC started in Standing Rock and they're just so powerful. Just people I look up to so much. And so I drew them and I made one for my Angelou because I always loved her things. So I did that for last month. It's it's just really cool to use art to show people that you you respect them, that you are inspired by them. Yeah, that's such a it's such a beautiful thing to do, and it's such an uh, impactful way to make change and to to grow community. That's lovely. So you've you you do your art regularly, and you've got mm -hmm. another single coming out soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably just like do singles because some people are saying write an album. It's very hard to to make an album all at once. I'm working on it, but I will definitely release Dangerous Game next. Nice. And do you do you play instruments as well? I do. I grew up playing flute and cello guitar and then once i got all my issues with my joints guitar was really painful so i switched to ukulele and it's also great for busking and and traveling with so now i'm pretty much doing ukulele and singing nice are you still busking do you go out often i haven't done that in a while because i've been organizing so much that it's on the weekends when i used to do that it's gotten so busy with organizing and I don't like just leaving for a few hours and people not being able to contact me. <laughs> like, I, I feel responsibility to be there and respond fast if someone's like, hey, we need to get this permit or hey, we need to, to get this done. So yeah, I haven't, I haven't done busking in a while, but I sometimes do perform at the strikes, which has been fun. Oh, that's the best. It really raises the atmosphere to have music there. It does. And like I said, it is that universal language. So that's the cool thing about it. So what's coming up next for um, XR Youth LA? That's been really interesting. And you brought up Corona and it's hard to navigate because a lot of events are being canceled. And so it's been kind of uncertain to organize when we don't know if certain events will be there or not. So currently we're in this limbo of not knowing where to hold the next action. So we've been really brainstorming a lot. Yeah. Have you thought about addressing the virus in the action? Oh, addressing how? Yeah, do you see that as related to climate change, the coronavirus? That's that's tricky. I'm not sure, actually. I would have to read more scientific articles to get a stance on that. What do you think? I mean, I definitely think it's related. I think, I mean, because I believe everything is deeply intertwined. I don't think there's any separation. And so even kind of when we talk about climate change, I can find it a little bit limiting sometimes because it's so often tied to carbon emissions. And that's kind of the narrative that people are comfortable with because we need a villain <laughs> <laughs> to understand. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think it's very interesting that um, emissions in, in China have gone way down, that, that travel uh, all over the world is being halted. Uh, I was supposed to travel next week and now I'm not anymore. My conference was canceled and I've, oh. yeah, I've decided to stay put. And I thought, well, isn't Mother Earth making her point very clear? You know, sit still, everyone. Stop moving. You know, just be. <laughs> that, that is one interesting thing is that certain things are, yes, in a way, but people are also still traveling. There are a lot of people who travel and a lot of people who spend their vacations that way. So it'll be interesting how this unfolds. I just, yeah, it's really a tricky situation, especially for the climate movement and big climate strikes. I know Europe is still doing big climate strikes and I want to see those numbers here. I really do. Because when I see, I think it was in Germany, they had 60,000 in the streets. Wow. And I really need to see those numbers here because while it's great to have these small actions and these community actions, we need big numbers to shut down the system. Yeah. 
Do you think that's possible in Los Angeles, considering how spread out, how diverse the city is? That's what's really been interesting. And traveling through LA is very difficult with transportation because it's made for cars. It really was designed for cars. And I hate that part because it disconnects us and makes it to where many people have to rely on cars to get to places. And it just makes it where we're more fragmented. But I think that it is possible if we use things like social media, if we do intensive outreach, maybe, maybe we'll be able to get those numbers. But what first needs to happen is this shift to, well, societal change. We really need that because a lot of people aren't yet involved in the climate movement, aren't yet involved with striking. And a lot of people, I think, are worried about what their work will think, what their friends will think. And so they might even care, but they think it's too risky to come out. But also some people, they just can't afford to strike because striking is a privilege. And not everyone can afford to skip work on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that's really interesting, too, is I... I catch myself listening, we need more people because I realize not everyone is able to skip their work on a Friday or skip work on a Saturday or whatever day the strike is to take time out of their day to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's so many layers. I proposed recently up here to XR, you know, is there a way we can find funding to get people who are so impacted by the system that they can't do direct action? Is there a way to, to fund their involvement? But even more than that, I think it's like, how do we heal those people? How do we give them rest? How do we give them the space and time they need to recuperate? Because the reason I'm able to take part in direct action is because I do have time to self care Mm -hmm. and I do have the ability and the community to look after myself because sometimes direct action and activism can be very exhausting and draining. And I'm only able to do that because I can go and reset where so many people are living in a state of stress all the time that they, they can't push it any further. Yeah. And that balance is really interesting because it's hard not to feel guilty when you're taking time for yourself, but it also is vital. So even if it's 10 minutes of the day where you're meditating or you're praying or you're going out in nature and just letting your mind be silent or you're going out with friends or something, it, it is a vital part of the movement because I've started to see a lot of burnout mm-hmm. and a lot of people that I really like, and everyone deals with activism differently. For me, I'm fueled by striking, but a lot of people I know, it exhausts them. And so there's a burnout and that's actually not effective because if you burn out, then you're spending a lot of time doing nothing versus if you take time to heal yourself in between each event and each time you have to organize, then you're able to keep yourself going for a long period of time. Kind of like endurance running. You can't just run the entire time and then eventually you're going to collapse. Yeah. But if you take time to heal, then you can keep going. Exactly. There's got to be snacks. Yeah. (laughs) There's got to be snacks and water. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what would you say to the people who um, have the privilege but don't use it? Oh, that is a really good question. Have privilege but don't use it. I will tell them that, and, and privilege is a really interesting word too, because there are levels of privilege. And so even if you have food on the table, but you have nothing else, that's a privilege. If you live in a home and it's a really small apartment in a place you don't like, that's, that's a privilege. And so there are definitely levels of that. But people who are very privileged, more privileged than most, and just treating the earth as a resource and something that can be depleted and used rather than something we can work together with, be in harmony with, I think that's terribly irresponsible because there are people who are suffering and and dying and it's not it's not the same as direct murder but their actions are helping to fuel the death and suffering of many people and so i i would tell them take a look at 
your privilege and what you have and know that many, many people don't have that. And there is a responsibility, I think, Mm -hmm. when you have privilege to make sure that you're helping make systems more equitable. If you have food to make sure other people are fed, if you have a house to make sure other people have shelter, if you have resources and your children have all these resources, make sure that other children have that. I think there should be a responsibility that comes with privilege. And I, I constantly tell myself that because there are hard things that happen in our lives. But at the end of the day, we have privileges that a lot of people don't. Yeah. I think the more that we recognize that and, and, and experience gratitude for it. Yeah. Gratitude. That's definitely something that needs to happen more. I think it's easy to just feel entitled to certain things we have. And I think that there are basic human rights and in a way that's entitlement because I think that everyone should have clean air, clean water, have food and shelter. Those should be basic human rights. There are certain things we feel maybe entitled to have if you, and and it's easy to be caught in a bubble thinking that everyone has what you have, especially if your community all has a certain, even something as simple as family you might take that for granted and think, well, everyone has it. Well, a lot of people don't or, or think that everyone has shelter. A lot of people don't. And so I think it's important for all of us to, to know our privileges and to know that everyone should have certain basic human rights that we are lucky enough to have here. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we can be entitled to basic human rights without feeling entitled you know there's Mm -hmm. you can have that division and like recognize that everyone deserves this but i'm so grateful that i have it because Mm -hmm. i know that not everyone has it and because i have it that's going i'm going to put more of my energy towards making sure everyone has it yeah and i'm working towards a future where it's a more because this is our opportunity to create not only the end of humanity, which is a nice thing to prevent the end of humanity, but also to create a more equitable system Mm -hmm. where no one is suffering. And some people might say that that's just a dream, but I think that is a very toxic way of thinking. If you think that certain people should be rich and there will always be poverty or there will always be suffering, I don't think that's a good mentality to have. If you think that an equitable world for everyone is just a dream. I think that's a privilege right there. Yeah. I really, I really do think that because those people are probably thinking, well, I want to stay rich, but if people are suffering, that's just life, you know? And I think that's a very selfish way of thinking. And I've never felt that, that any child should not have what I have, that, that any child should be starving or not have access to clean water. And even in this country, there are a lot of people who don't have clean water. And I always did as far as I know, I might have been drinking toxic water the whole time, but as far as I knew, it was clean water. Yeah. And I don't see why we can't have a world where everyone can breathe cleanly, can drink cleanly. I don't, I don't think that's just a, a crazy goal. I think that's what, what we need to have as our goal. Absolutely. It's doable. It's completely doable. Yeah. And we have, when we look at it statistically and from a science standpoint, we do have enough resources as long as we're living as one with the earth. Mm-hmm. As long as we're not exploiting it, we do have enough for, for all of the humans on this earth. Yeah. And all of the, all of the, and not just humans, because we shouldn't live in a world where only humans have enough resources. We should make it to where everything that's alive on this planet can coexist and has enough to survive absolutely yeah so where do you see the world in 10 years oh in 10 years it could go either way because if we if we don't act now we already know we already know what is predicted to happen and it it could actually be much worse than scientists predict it would be a world in which there's all of the suffering is amplified and to where many more people are suffering, many more people are starving, don't have water, forced to migrate. So that's one scenario. We're at a crossroads, that's one scenario. And the other side, when I'm allowed to just let myself dream big to what I wanna see is regenerative culture Mm -hmm. and 
yes, to dismantle capitalism, colonialism, to change our minds so that we're in empathy with each other. And so that if there ever is someone who's suffering, we don't just say, oh, that's their problem. That, that society is molded in a way where we want to help that person, mm-hmm. help that individual. So I see a more equitable world where no one is suffering. Everyone has enough to survive. And as far as how society will be shaped, I I have no idea. (laughs) But as long, I I don't know the word for it because it could be we do not have the system that would need to be there for all people to thrive. Because some people think we need to have this version of government or this version of system or this version. Mm -hmm. And it could be we need to create a different word for it. Maybe we even call it, something to do with regeneration maybe it's playing off of that word but maybe we need to create a whole new system i'm not sure yet because i i don't know enough about that but i just see a system where everyone can live in harmony where there's no more apathy no more entitlement but knowing that we should just all be in harmony to not exploit anything because mm-hmm. when you look at a lot of how we got to this place is because we exploited either humans or resources or nature or animals. And that's, I don't want to see any of that in this 10 years from now future. That's a beautiful vision. And I think it's not only okay to not know or to recognize that um, we don't, we might not possess the language to understand it. Like, I think that that's pivotal. I think that that's pivotal to moving forward. Yeah. You have to think outside the box because these boxes that we created, that's what got us into this mess because each one has been broken because there have been different systems in different places and all of those led to problems. There hasn't been one system that has succeeded yet. And so I think that if we put all of the minds together right now and say this is our moment to create a future where no one will be suffering and we see this as something that's doable and not just a pipe dream and i just think of you know the civil rights movement and women's rights and the space race and how all of that people put their minds together for a common goal there was in a, a lot through history, there was a common enemy or a common goal, and that's what we need. We all have this common enemy of extinction and the, the systems that cause extinction. And our common goal should be this equitable world with a version of government or system that we've never seen before. Something that will be so beautiful where people can be their absolute best selves and not have these destructive mindsets, these destructive ways of living. And I'm really, really excited for that because as much fear that I have in my mind of what could go wrong, I also constantly think of what could go right if we put our minds to this and how it is possible if we put all of our minds together. There's so many humans on this planet. If we put our minds together, just think of seven billion plus people all putting their minds together. That's so powerful. And that's, that's the thing. I think it's when we come, when we think together, when we put our minds Mm -hmm. together, when we conceptualize the problems, but focus on the solutions, you know, it's not just about, you know, oh, well, everything's going to be fine and we're going to fix this and we're just going to stay hopeful. It's like, oh, no, no, no. We need to be so aware of all, all the things that are going on, but then just so brilliant in our determination to, um, to see the positive, to, to know that that's possible and to move forward. That's, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely ready for that. 10 years, better future, here we come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been so enriching to, to connect with you and to hear, to hear what you're working on and uh, your vision and just your awareness of how things should be and how they need to be yeah it's really thank you so much for having me this was an awesome conversation great way to spend my morning <laughs> oh good good so um how can people find you uh on instagram or otherwise and follow with your art and your music and your activism okay so instagram at the tree and see is my art account and my activist account where i post all of the 
activist events that I do is at K-O-K-O underscore Malia. Lovely. I'll be sure to link to all of this so everyone can find you and, and follow along and yeah. And keep us updated on, on any events and any art. So, so you can spread it out into the world and we'll have to connect again sometime soon and catch up and see where you're at in a couple That'd months. That'd be awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here.